Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. First and foremost, at the top of this program, I want to convey, as always, our prayers and well wishes, especially for the people of Ukraine, but all suffering Christians, especially Christians of the Eastern Catholic churches who are at the epicenter of a lot of the suffering and persecution today. But we especially send our prayers out and our thoughts to our Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic brethren and Orthodox brethren, actually Ukrainians of all persuasion in Ukraine because of the profound witness that those people have given, a witness to human dignity, to freedom, to justice, and in particular, the witness of the clergy, especially the Eastern Catholic, the Byzantine Catholic clergy, and the Eastern Orthodox clergy of Ukraine. Many of you may have seen some of the dramatic pictures, and they are dramatic. They are very moving, having magnificent pictures of these priests. Some of them look like gladiators out there or soldiers, but not with weapons of war, but the weapons of the cross and the strength of their priesthood, tending to the wounded, even to the dead and also standing between the soldiers with bullets and guns and the people, the innocent, peaceful, but courageous protesters. Very dramatic photos and tremendous, tremendous witness, especially by the clergy and seminarians of Ukraine. They are indeed witnesses to the faith, which is providential because today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is the Sunday of Orthodoxy, which means Sunday of the true faith, in which we also honor witnesses to the faith. On this Sunday, centuries ago, in fact, in 843 AD, 843 AD was the final, final restoration, at least officially, of the use of icons, the veneration of icons. Today, we call this the Sunday of Orthodoxy, as I mentioned. It's also the first Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, but also it's the Sunday of holy icons or holy images. Now, why do all these titles go together? And it is significant, and also providential, as I mentioned, because a lot of this theme today has to do with witnessing, courageously witnessing. There was for many centuries a controversy about the use of images. In other words, could we portray things of the invisible reality, such as God, of course, the Blessed Mother, the angels, the saints, could we depict them in imagery? For centuries, there was, from time to time, a misreading of the Bible where it said, Thou shalt not make graven images and worship them. And also the first commandment, I am the Lord your God. You shall not worship strange gods or other gods than me. 
This was a misinterpretation or an exaggeration of those biblical passages. And one of the reasons we know that is because in the Bible itself, right towards the beginning, God himself made an image. He made us. We are in the image and likeness of God. And we are made of the things of the earth, the same matter that everything else comes from. In other words, everything comes from the basic elements of the earth, basic elements of this universe, from you know soil and elements and water and, and air and gases and all the things of this earth, everything ultimately comes from. The earth is like our mother, Mother Earth, you know, like the great womb from which everything is birthed and everything will return. And so we are made of that same stuff, so there's no reason why we can't take that stuff and use it to make images. As we were made an image from the stuff of the earth, as Jesus Christ himself, most especially Jesus Christ himself, became an image, became human. He took on the stuff of his own creation, and he made visible what was once invisible. And so he was the image of the Father, just as we have been made in the image and likeness of God. And so making images from things of the earth is completely justified, completely sensible, in fact. Because as human beings, we need imagery. Things, physical things, especially things done artistically, creatively, make present, they incarnate the invisible God. And although this was a controversy for a long time, and from time to time it kind of gets recycled, as do all heresies and controversies in the church. They get recycled and repackaged. But the truth always remains, is that we can, in fact, make images of the heavens, the angels, the saints, the Blessed Mother, Jesus Christ. Now, in iconography, however, technically, although sometimes you do see these images, but technically you do not make a painting, an image of God the Father because he has been revealed in the Son. Nor do we make an image of the Holy Spirit. All we can do is use fiery tongues or, of course, the image of a dove, because the Holy Spirit revealed itself in that way, but not in the same way as the second person of the Trinity who revealed himself in human form, completely like us in every way except sin. So iconography depicts Christ, but never God the Father, or the Holy Spirit, except other than indicating it with a dove or a flame, because that was in the Scripture. Now, I mentioned this date, 843 A.D., but there was a date before that that was very, very significant. That is the Seventh Ecumenical Council in 787 A.D. Now, this council, notice I said Seventh, the Seventh Ecumenical Council, because that one is actually set aside from the first previous six councils, which are commemorated at different times, and also together in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. But the seventh one is set apart, and the seventh one has to do with the vindication of the veneration of icons. Or we might ask, why would that be set apart? And it counts something to do with art, because of what is underneath it all, and part of what we just said, that if we deny the fact that we can make images of Jesus Christ, the Blessed Mother, the heavenly bodies, you know, the angels and saints. If we deny that, at the same time we are denying the incarnation, as if God never really did take on flesh and enter into his own creation, thereby making his creation revelatory. In other words, it reveals him. It makes him present. That is the great mystery. 
everything in life affirms and participates in that one great mystery. That's everything. That's why, for example, the season of Christmas, the nativity, the incarnation is so big. It has to be big. It's the great mystery. So if we say we can't make images, it's like we're saying that the incarnation really never happened. And there's this great chasm between God and his creation. Now, this thinking is actually heretical. In fact, one of the famous heresies along these lines was called the Manichaean heresy by a man named Mani, who basically proposed a dichotomy between the spirit world and the physical. The physical was so debased. And unfortunately, this idea gets recycled in different forms, as I mentioned, even in our present day. We tend to separate out our bodies from the spiritual aspect, body and soul. We separate a lot of things. We live very dichotomously, and that results in a lot of unfortunate things, a kind of a neurotic existence. So our vindication, the vindication of iconography, of images, is actually a return to an integration, an integrated understanding of the universe of God, of our relationship with God, of ourselves. And so this council was very special. And this is a very, very significant, significant teaching to get correct, that we can, in fact, make images. We can make present the invisible through the physical, whether it's ourselves, things that God has created himself, or things that we as humans create in imitation of God, such as beautiful art. I'm going to recommend to you what I think is one of these must-read books. I know we all have our must-read books. This book is not thick. It's not big. A little heavy but in terms of its scholarship, but not too heavy. I still would recommend it nonetheless. In fact, it would be good Lenten reading material for you. It's called Benedict XVI and Beauty and Sacred Art and Architecture. And this is published by Four Courts Press out of Dublin, or Scepter Publishers out of New York. And this was published in 2011. Once again, Benedict XVI and Beauty in Sacred Art and Architecture. This book is a collection of essays about art and architecture, about art and its relationship to liturgy, to the church, to beauty, to life. And I'm going to read from a couple of these articles, some of the passages, because I think they're very, very worthwhile for our discussion today on this day of the Sunday of Orthodoxy, which means the Sunday of true faith. Orthodoxy doesn't mean the Orthodox Church. It means the true believing, the true faith, which many witnesses suffered for, just like we're referring to and seeing today the great witness of the Ukrainian people in Ukraine. When we return, we're going to hear more from what I believe is a very, very significant book. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. 
Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, and I invite you to join me on the Light of the East pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs east and west. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires, and you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the Church the same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the Church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. On this Sunday of Orthodoxy, meaning of true faith, which is a celebration of the vindication once and for all of the veneration of icons, which we celebrate on the first Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar because when this happened, 843 A.D., this final vindication just happened to be celebrated on the first Sunday of Lent. So we keep that tradition as well in our church. As I mentioned, wonderful book, Benedict XVI and Beauty and Sacred Art and Architecture. And this is a collection of essays. One of them is called The Face of Christ as Criterion for Christian Beauty. Now, what these essays basically are about, they're, they're in the spirit of Pope Benedict XVI. In other words, what he did was he held conferences that had to do with liturgy. He was very much interested in the restoration of liturgy, its dignity, its beauty, and of the corresponding art of the church, which I think is very significant. Of course, I would think that as an iconographer myself, an artist, and also a Byzantine priest. This is a couple of paragraphs I want to read to you from The Face of Christ as Criterion for Christian Beauty by Joseph Murray. Now, he cites something that Benedict mentioned, and that is the characteristics of Christian art. And there are three, the summons of the discipleship, the paschal and Eucharistic aspects, and the eschatological dimension. And he says here, they emerge most clearly in relation to the icon. In the effort to defend the veneration of icons against the attacks of the iconoclasts, it was necessary to avoid the danger of seeing the icon as some kind of idol, which would reduce God to something material and tangible. The icon, as Ratzinger says, who of course is Benedict XVI, must bear within itself the dynamics of transcendence, of pointing beyond itself. It must be an invitation that sets us on the way, on the search for the face of the Lord. The origins of the icon of Christ may lie in the Archeropoeta, which means images not made by human hands, which are recorded in the Christian East at least from the 6th century onwards. One such is the Mandilion, brought from Edessa to Constantinople, 
and thought by many scholars to be identical with the Shroud of Turin. Quite understandably, the depictions of Christ modeled on such images became the center of the whole canon of iconography. The icon is not a portrait, but is supposed to originate from an opening up of the inner senses, leading the artist beyond the surface of the empirical and the material to perceive Christ in the glory of Tabor. It comes from prayer and leads to prayer. It results in a new kind of seeing, whereby the artist and the viewer behold in what is perceived by the senses that which, though transcending the sensible, has entered into the realm of the senses. It is intended to draw us onto an inner path, the eastward path, toward the Christ who is to return. As such, its basic dynamism is the same as that of the liturgy as a whole. Now, I'm going to continue reading in a moment, but I just want to point out that what I'm reading is based upon the thought, the work, the writing of Pope Benedict XVI. Now, it's very significant because here he is a pope. Basically, you could say he's Latin right, but of course the pope is a pope for all, east and west. And here I'm drawing upon some wonderful thoughts from a Latin rite pope about Eastern iconography. And I highly recommend that if you're serious about learning about Eastern art and the art of the church, the architecture, the liturgy, and how that's all integrated, both East and West, in particular East, I would recommend reading a lot of the works of Benedict XVI. I think he's very underrated or yet to be discovered in this area. He does wonderful work in the area of iconography, liturgical art, and liturgy. Okay, I'll read on now from this article, Face of Christ is a Criterion for Christian Beauty by Joseph Murphy. The Second Council of Nicaea, 787, which of course we're talking about today in our program, and subsequent councils defended the veneration of icons and rejected iconoclasm as a denial of the incarnation. Iconoclasm, according to Ratzinger, relies on a one-sided apophatic theology which recognizes only the holy otherness of God beyond all images and words. The theology underlying iconoclasm understands God is utterly beyond all thought. Hence, all propositions about God and every kind of image of him are in equal proportions valid and invalid. This theology allows God no word and no real entry into history. Matter is absolutized and regarded as completely impervious to spirit and therefore to God. As is obvious, this kind of theology leads to nothing other than the collapse of faith. In contrast, the theology of the icon stresses the role of the senses and matter in the Christian economy of revelation. The incarnation means that the invisible God enters into the visible world so that we who are bound to matter and the senses can know him and embark upon a journey of transformation through association with the Paschal mystery, leading ultimately to the new bodily condition of the resurrection. The new seeing of faith does not lead to the abolition of the senses, but restores them to their original purpose. Though God is the Holy Other, He is able to show Himself and has so fashioned His creature that it is capable of seeing Him and loving him. Now, in this same article, Joseph Murphy, and again, he's drawing from the thought of Pope Benedict XVI, he says that there are some basic principles, actually, that 
Benedict lays down for divine worship in terms of art. Number one, the complete absence of images is incompatible with faith in the incarnation of God. In other words, iconoclasm is not a Christian option. Number two, salvation history from creation to the second coming provides the subjects of sacred art. Number three, given the reference to the sacraments, especially baptism and the Eucharist, sacred images are essentially connected with the liturgy in which the mystery of Christ is made ever-present. Every image of Christ must somehow contain the three essential aspects of the mystery of Easter, although different emphasis are possible. The crucified one, the risen Lord, the one who will come again and who here and now reigns over all. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment and comment on that. These three elements that we just mentioned from the thought of Benedict about church art are very much present in iconography. Iconography points us to the reality of the incarnation here, but also to the eschaton, the way things will be in the end, spiritualized, perfected in Christ. Now, point number four. The images of Christ and the saints are not photographs, but lead us beyond what can be apprehended at the merely material level to awaken new senses in us and teach us a new kind of seeing, which perceives the invisible in the visible. The sacred image must arise from contemplation, from an encounter with Christ, which in turn is capable of leading the viewer to an interior gazing, an encounter in prayer with the risen Lord. It has a liturgical function and an essential ecclesial dimension. And then number five, something Benedict makes reference to, especially for the Western lung of the church. Without abandoning the specific path she has followed since about the 13th century, the church in the West needs to achieve a real reception of the Second Council of Nicaea. There is a difference between sacred art and religious art in general. Forms of art that deny the logos of things and imprison man within what appears to the senses are incompatible with the church's understanding of the image. No sacred art can come from an isolated subjectivity. It presupposes that there is a subject who has been inwardly formed by the church and opened up to the we of the church. Without faith, there is no art commensurate with the liturgy. I find the thoughts and words of Pope Benedict XVI to be very, very appropriate to the way that the Eastern churches see art, architecture, and liturgy. It's all integrated. It's all about, as you heard here, the reality, drawing us into the reality of the incarnation. We have read today a lot from Pope Benedict XVI and other authors who were writing based on his thought. Now we'll read from a few of the great Eastern fathers, St. John Damascene on icons, and he says this, If you have understood that the incorporeal one became man for you, then it is evident that you can portray his human image. Since the invisible one became visible by assuming a human body, you can make a picture of him who was seen. Since he who has neither body nor form, nor quantity nor quality, who transcends all grandeur by the very excellence of his nature, being of divine nature, assumed the condition of a slave, and so reduced himself to quantity and quality by clothing himself with human features, then paint on wood and present for contemplation 
him who desired to become visible. I think that just about says it all. May you have a very blessed, colorful, artful, meditative, contemplative, liturgical day today. This day of the Sunday of the true images, the Sunday of the true faith. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.